This week on Myths and Legends, we're wrapping up this round of stories on Rostam, a legendary Iranian hero. You'll see how raw donkey can be a nutritious treat for your hungry mythological hero on the go, and how Rostam's GPS tries to murder him. The creatures this week are the Kakamora from Polynesian folklore, and you'll learn why you shouldn't mess with that naked, six-inch-tall hunchback person. Just let them hunt their possums and get on with their life in peace. This is Myths and Legends, episode 129, Champions. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Last week on the show, we met Rostam, the super strong baby who grew up to be a super strong protector of Iran. We also met several kings, the latest of which being young K. Kavas, who led the entire Iranian army into Mazandaran, the land of the demons. If you're thinking that that was probably a terrible idea, you'd be right. At the moment, the king and his army are trapped in Mazandaran. Most of them are now blind, and one survivor had been sent with a message to the elderly Zal, the champion of Iran, and one of the few remaining at K. Kavas' earthly palace. The message is this. They are all in trouble. Standing tall, Zal decides that it's finally time to call upon Rostam for help, not knowing that this was exactly what the white demon wanted. Rimmed by golden light, Rostam rode his trusty steed, Akish, toward the setting sun. The pair trotted up alongside a donkey on the road, edging so close that they almost grazed its side. The donkey glanced up at the legendary hero, gliding atop his squat, yet buff, little horse, just as Rostam skewered the poor animal with a spear. Ten minutes later, Rostam sat tearing through his latest catch with his teeth. Yep, no field dressing, no seasoning, and no cooking whatsoever. It was dinner time, and Rostam inhaled the donkey raw. Meat, blood, and fur. Yeah, Rostam was that manly. As he sat, he thought about the last couple of days. It had been stupid for the king to go into the land of demons, but whether or not the man acknowledged the truth, he was still the king, and Rostam maintained a duty to save him. He'd huddled on a bed of reeds he just found randomly out in the wilderness and fell asleep for the first time in days. When he awoke, he found himself surrounded by blood and animal bits, and not just those of the donkey from the night before. No, this was from a lion, a massive Nemenian lion-sized lion, and its head lay there, caved in on the side by a hoof print? Rostam rubbed the sleep from his eyes and turned to his horse. Did you do this? He asked. The horse smiled with a coy, maybe, look. But the rider didn't return the grin. Where'd he learn to fight lions? Did he know how far it was to the land of the demons? Super far. If Rakish died, Rostam would have to walk the whole way. Oh, also it'd be super sad and he lost his horse friend and everything. But also his armor and weapons were super heavy and he wasn't a cardio guy. The horse snorted and rolled his eyes. You're welcome for killing the lion, but sure, he'd wake Rostam up in the future. And with that, Rostam's first labor, killing the massive lion whose home he'd unwittingly slept in, 
was complete. The second labor was finding a stream from which to drink when he grew too thirsty to carry on. I'm not sure where in ancient Persia Rostam was riding at this point, so I don't know if it was a particularly difficult task to find a spring, but Rostam was now in a bad spot. His tongue had dried out and was now splitting open. That night, as he slept on the open plains, he felt a nudge, and then another, and then a horse hoof kicked him square across the face. He was about to yell at Orkish, but then he remembered their talk from the night with the lion and quickly sat up. This better be really dangerous. There, in the distance, flapped a giant dragon, one so large that even the demons fled its path. Rostam nodded in the darkness. Okay, yeah, this was sufficiently dangerous. Hey, you, little guy, what's your name? The dragon cried out from the air. Rostam found his heavy sword and raised it above his head. Seriously, bud, I don't kill people without knowing their names. It's not right. Rostam hollered up into the sky that he was Rostam, son of Zal, son of Sam, of the Nariman family. The dragon laughed. Nice. Now he knew whose mom to tell when he murdered Rostam. She'd cry. It'd be great. Quick sidebar. In the ancient medieval world, names were a big deal. They were powerful and relatively intimate things. Someone who knew your name had a certain power. Basically, the dragon insisting on knowing Rostam's name probably wasn't the setup for a pretty solid ancient world your mom joke, but that's the way I like to think about it. Seriously though, the mom parts were in the text. So Rostam charged the dragon, and Rostam failed. Hard. The dragon was one of those beasts of old. A massive, poisonous monster who flew through the night. Even the birds were afraid to fly over its land, and no one made it out alive. So it's no wonder that even our mammoth-sized hero started to falter in the face of such an enemy. Rostam hit the ground, the dragon gloating above him, right before going in for the kill. Except, that's when it stopped. Rostam looked up in surprise, wiping blood from his eyes, only to see another creature on the scene, attacking the dragon's side. Was that his horse? The dragon, though it had easily terrorized the world since, you know, the creation of the world, was just as startled as Rostam. He stopped cold. Wait, was that little Sebastian-looking thing biting him? Rostam had never seen an animal attack with such intensity and ferocity. Rakish was relentless, tearing at the dragon's leg. Horse and hero locked eyes as the showdown continued. But then Rostam realized his horse wasn't smiling. His eyes bulged. Seriously, why are you waiting? Rostam snapped too and jumped to action, gripping his heavy sword, and he buried it deep in the dragon's belly before running the length of the creature. The massive dragon screeched, its poisonous blood soaking not just Rostam, but flooding the desert floor. The dragon writhed, but the dragon died, and Rostam, coated in poison, returned to Rakish. All right, he said with a sigh as he stowed his sword on the horse. You can fight. Rostam's third labor was complete. Oh, shoot. It's Rostam, guys. Run. Rostam could hear from the dinner party up ahead. Sometime over the past few days, he and Rakish had crossed into the land of the demons. It had all looked pretty similar to the rest of the world until that afternoon when, in the distance, he had seen what appeared to be a pretty nice little dinner party. There was a golden goblet filled with wine, roasted chicken, bread, 
candied fruit and people playing musical instruments, all next to a refreshing stream. The sorcerer saw Rostam just a little while after he had seen them, and when they took in the mammoth-sized man, riding with a sword on a buff horse, they made the, in my opinion, very reasonable decision of finishing their wine and then running for their lives across the open desert. Rostam had considered chasing them, but after seeing as he had traveled for days eating nothing but raw donkey, seriously, I have no idea why he is exclusively eating donkeys and then also eating them raw, Rostam quickly decided that the chicken and wine were a welcome change of pace. Besides, there would be plenty of chances to kill sorcerers in the land of the demons. He'd give these ones a pass. After eating his fill of chicken and wine and composing a tune about his own awesomeness, about which I am not joking, on a loot one of the sorcerers left behind, Rostam noticed another shape walking across the desert. And it was a nice one. The silhouette belonged to a young woman, a wine stewardess, making her way across the sand. Maybe it was the feast that Rostam had chanced upon. Maybe it was the fact that he was almost done with that golden goblet of wine that was meant for a whole party. Whatever it was, he wasn't as suspicious as his horse, who shook his head with a snort before looking over at Rostam and rolling his eyes. Oh, okay. So that's how this was going to go. Rostam welcomed the young woman to the party and asked her to sit down. Did she want to hear a song about how awesome he was? <laughs> you know, today was just great. He praised God for it and... Huh. He focused on the young woman. Did... Did she... Did she just flinch when he said the word God? No, nope, not at all. That's crazy, the woman said. Flinching again? Rostam narrowed his eyes. And the young woman bolted. Nope, Rostam shouted behind her as he pulled out his lasso. He caught her before she made it six steps from the party, and he dragged the young woman back to the table, his foot resting on her neck. He'd like to see her real form, please. The stranger screamed, a look of panic wrinkling her face. She didn't know what he was talking about. He was looking right at her. Rostam sighed and pressed down a little harder, and the young woman relented, turning into a not-so-young woman. It was like The Shining, where that one woman comes out of the tub and immediately transforms into this, like, hag except that this one didn't start falling apart. Well, not without the help of Rostam's sword, that is. His fourth labor, killing the witch, was complete. Hey, hey buddy, you can't sleep here. My boss is gonna be mad, Rostam heard a few days later. He had passed into a much warmer region, and spent the night atop the grass, where Rakish grazed. He didn't know, or didn't care, that this land in the realm of demons actually belonged to someone, and that someone's farmhand was here trying to wake him up an hour before his alarm went off. Seriously, if you don't get out of here, he's gonna have my head, Rostam heard from the farmhand. Without so much as a shrug, Rostam continued ignoring the man. Now, I've never been in the position to lose both my job and my head in the same day, I hope I never am, but this maybe explains the next move the farmhand made. He took out a small knife and began slicing at this mammoth-sized trespasser's legs to wake him up. Still half asleep, Rostam rolled over and, with all the precision of reaching for the snooze button in the morning, gripped the sides of the man's head and ripped off his ears, dropping each pinna unceremoniously to the ground before rolling back over. The farmhand screamed in terror, scooped up his ears, and took off. Finally, 
After all the slicing and shrieking, Rostam could get back to sleep. It was a couple more hours later when he heard the galloping of horses. This time, it was more than a farmhand, and Rakesh came to him, quickly nudging him awake. Rostam sighed and climbed atop his horse, before he really opened his eyes. When he did, he was surrounded by the owner of the farm and all of his warriors, a man by the name of Olad. Olad met Rostam's gaze, and demanded to know the name of the man who was sleeping illegally on his land. Rostam shot back that his name was Cloud. If a cloud could fight like a lion, then would rain down spears and sore blows and lop noblemen's heads off. And yeah, that's actually what he said. It, it's not a great comeback. Olab pursed his lips impatiently, clearly unamused. <sighs> yeah, very clever. What was the man's real name? Rostam laughed. Fine then. He warned that Olag couldn't handle his real name. If he heard his real name, if his real name ever penetrated Olad's ears, it would freeze Olad's blood. Did the farm owner know what Rostam called the mother of a man like Olad? He called her the woman who cried at a funeral. Everyone paused. Hmm. That came out a little cooler than the dragon said it a few labors ago. Regardless, all these guys were going to die. Like, right now. And they did. According to the story, Rostam killed all these guys, even though he was trespassing. The whole thing going down like a lion descending on a flock of defenseless sheep. Two heads fell with each swing of his sword. The attackers, slash defenders of their home, broke and fled. But Rostam chased after each of them until only one man remained. In no time, he caught up with the lone survivor, lassoed Olad, and took him down. Dragging the landowner over to his horse, Rostam said that before Olad said anything, he had already fought a dragon, a witch, and a lion, kind of, on this trip. And he was kind of getting tired of being on the road. So the quicker Olag got to the point, the better it would be for him. Where did the white demon live, and where was he keeping Kay Kavis, the king of Iran? Apparently Olad knew when to hold him and when to fold him. And when an elephant-sized man has a boot on your neck after killing your friends two at a time, that's when you fold him. He told Rostam exactly where the white demon was holding Kay Kavis. 350 miles, or 100 parasangs, to Kekavas, and another 350 miles to the pit of the white demon, in case Rostam wanted to do some extracurricular killing while he was here. For the first time in a while, Rostam relaxed and grinned. He was absolutely interested in the bonus killing, thank you very much. But then Ola described the dangers ahead. There were demons with chests and shoulders that were 10 feet wide. They controlled valleys so rocky that not even a deer could pick their way across them. There was a seven-mile-wide river before Rostam even reached the land of the dog-headed men with soft feet, those kind of sounding the least intimidating, all things considered. The capital had a building 900 miles wide, where the white demon's 600,000 soldiers marched around all day. Basically, even if Rostam was made of iron, he wouldn't stand a chance. Rostam relaxed and took his foot from Olad. He was a man of his word, and Olad would live. He should know that Rostam didn't need to be made of iron, though. He had made it this far because of God, and he would make it the rest of the way because of God. One look at his mammoth-sized, rippling muscles, and the demon army's skin would split with fear. And yeah, that's nearly a direct quote from what Rostam shouted in verse, by the way. And so our hero picked Olad off up the ground, and plopped him down on Rakish. Wait, what are you doing? The farm owner protested. I told you where to go, why are you... Oh no... Rostam patted Olad firmly on the back. 
The only way he could be sure that Olad wasn't lying to him was if Olad came along with him. He should just be thankful Rakish was cool with Olad riding. You know, as opposed to bouncing along thrown over hogtied over the back end. And so the fifth labor, overcoming Olad, was complete. Together the pair rode through the land of demons. At last, Olad announced that the city was up ahead. The one where the demons shrieked? That was where Kate Kavis had been captured months ago. Don't worry, the demons shrieked all the time. It was kind of their thing. They only slept for two watches a night, so there was always someone on the walls. Rostam shook his head. Yeah, that's what everyone did? You sleep two watches and take one. That, that was the point of keeping watch. The pair rode on, Olad talking all the while, not realizing that Rostam was no longer paying attention. While the captive babbled on, Rostam was busy looking for a tree. The city walls loomed over them, seemingly growing taller and taller. Who's in charge here? Rostam broke in, still looking all around. A demon by the name of Arzong? Cool, cool. He'd be right back. As Rostam looped a rope around Olad, tying him to a tree, Olad asked what he was going to go do. I don't know, kill all the demons in the city? Rostam said, throwing up his hands. He took up his mace, put on his helmet, and mounted Burkish. About an hour later, Rostam returned matter-of-factly covered in blood and started unlooping the rope he used to tie up Olad. Before the farm owner could blink, they were again riding down the road in silence. Eventually, Olad spoke up. Uh, so how did it go? Rostam shrugged and grunted. He killed him. Didn't have to kill him all, though. Just had to tear that one guy Arzong's head from his body and throw it to the army like a bride on her wedding day. Then the rest of them ran away. Olad was almost speechless. Arzong's neck was like three feet thick. Rostam nodded but didn't look away from the road. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Olad could probably see how sweaty he was. Olad unstuck himself from Rostam's back, looking at his own now-soaked shirt. Yeah, yeah, he could see. Rostam's sixth labor, the killing of Arzong, was complete. When they at last rode into the city, they were met by the Persian army, all in chains in the courtyard. Rostam rode over to the king and asked him how the man was. Kekavis was doing well. Now, he had made kind of a massive mistake in coming here, and he thanked Rostam for helping him. Also, he needed another favor. He'd been talking with some of the doctors with them in their months of imprisonment, and they think they worked out a way for everyone to get their sight back. There was just one tiny hiccup. The medicine they needed required both the blood and the brains of the white demon himself. Mix a little bit of that together and put three drops in everyone's eyes, and the darkness would clear up and... Rostam? Rostam. The king cried out to one of the soldiers who'd been spared of the demon's blindness. Did he... Did he leave? Wait, he isn't going to let us go? The silence that followed confirmed that Rostam was not. He had already planned on going after the white demon. I mean, you didn't come all the way to Mazandaran and not take on the champion. And so leaving the king in chains was better for everyone at the moment. The demons had already fled the city. And if he remained in chains, it kept him from doing anything too stupid. As the pair rode on, Olad filled his captor in on the next stage of their journey. He would eventually come across seven mountain ranges with seven hordes of demons each. Rostam demanded to know their weakness, and Olad was happy to oblige. 
probably because he was into this whole buddy cop vibe thing they had going on. Not because Rostam would separate his head from his body with one false word. Definitely not the second one. Olad explained that the demons were the opposite of humans. They were active at night, but they couldn't stand the sunlight. So at high noon, they were nearly powerless. I mean, they were still super powerful, but not supernaturally super powerful. Then, all Rostam would have to contend with would be the human sorcerers who rolled with the demons. Olad chuckled, though. Based on Rostam's track record, he figured the man should be pretty much just fine. So, over seven mountains they rode. At first, the sorcerers stood against Rostam, but soon they began to break and flee like so many before, like basically everyone before. Days passed, and finally, they came to the heart of the land of the demons, and Rostam looked down into the pit. Olad explained that the white demon wouldn't come out during the day, only during the dead of night, when he was most powerful. Rostam would have to fight on the demon's terms. For the first time in the land of demons, Rostam began to feel a twinge of fear. He knew God was with him, but he felt like he was staring off the edge of the world. Then, from the bottomless shadows below, two eyes opened in the darkness. Two glowing red eyes that were about as big as he was. Rostam glared at them and then rode back to the tree line. Ola dismounted and pressed his back against the nearest tree. This was all old hat now. Every time Rostam went to kill hordes and hordes of demons, Ola was tied to a trunk. But this time, Rostam didn't approach with the rope. He put his hand on Ola's shoulder and took a deep breath. Ola was free to go. He had led Rostam here. To the end. He'd fulfilled his oath. And Rostam would keep his own in return. The pair sat together by the campfire as the day slowly waned. Neither saying anything. Ola was going to stay to see this through. He sat next to Rakish as Rostam picked up his heavy mace, put on his helmet and armor, and walked toward the pit. By now, the sun had set, and he could hear something stirring in the darkness. He stood on the edge and took a step forward. Rostam stood on the edge of the pit, looking down into the near-infinite darkness. Rostam took a step forward. Rostam wasn't going to wait for the white demon to come to him. He was going to face his problem. Actually, kind of literally, when he dropped down on the surprised white demon's face, planted his mace between the thing's eyes, heard a roar, and it began. The white demon gripped Rostam in one hand and started to squeeze. Rostam pushed back until he broke the demon's grip and plummeted into the blackness below as he craned towards nothingness. He knew he needed to do something, and so he hooked his mace to his belt and reached for his sword, stepping out to where he thought the white demon was standing. When he felt the resistance and heard the roar, he knew he found success. His massive sword sliced through the white demon's thigh, and then he came to a stop. He jammed a foot into the fresh wound and started hacking away. The demon swiped back, Rostam repeatedly dodged, burrowing deeper and deeper into the thing's leg until, standing by the bone, he took out his mace once more. 
The white demon was now clawing at his own flesh, trying to fish Rostam out. But it was too late. Rostam swung, and a crack and a roar rang out as the demon began to fall. Rostam shielded himself within the demon's leg as they slammed on the floor of the pit. When the dust settled, Rostam emerged. He saw that he had taken off the demon's leg at the thigh. The enemies looked on one another, and when their eyes met, both beings realized something. Rostam realized that no matter how this went, his name would live on forever as the one who stormed the land of demons and fought their champion. And the white demon, well, he realized that he was no longer the champion. Even if he won and lived, the other demons would smell weakness. No matter how this went, this was his final fight, and he wanted to make sure it was one he could be proud of. Up above, Olet sat by Rakish, both racked with anxiety. They had seen the glowing eyes the previous afternoon and heard screams coming from the pit. Even if they had dared to peek, they wouldn't have been able to see anything so far into the darkness. Even worse than screams, however, was silence. They had heard a deafening crack from down below, and then nothing. Nothing for a long while. Whatever had been going on down there, it was now finished. Win or lose. Ola looked at Rakish, and the two knew they had to venture toward the pit. Together they walked. And when they peered over the edge, Olad jumped back in surprise. He was looking straight into the white demon's face. Or what was left of it? Rakish whinnied as Rostam hefted himself and then about half of the white demon's head out of the hole. It was over. The white demon, the champion of Mazandaran, was dead. In addition to a head carrying a non-trivial amount of demon brains, Rostam hefted a wineskin that had been emptied out and refilled with the white demon's blood. Later, as the three sat by the campfire, Olad tended to Rostam's wounds while hearing all about the fight. Rostam went on and on about how, with the white demon dead, the others would soon either fall or flee. Mazanaran would need a new king when Rostam was finished with the old one, and there was a perfect candidate for the job. Olad continued cleaning Rostam's wounds, so focused on helping his friend that he didn't realize that Rostam had paused, and he was staring straight at Olad. It was weeks later when Rostam rode up to the palace of the king of Mazandaran. He had restored sight to Kekavas and the Persian army by smearing demon brains and blood all over their eyes. And after several strongly worded letters between Kekavas and the king of Mazandaran, Rostam had been sent to deliver the final message, the letter calling for war, if the king didn't surrender Mazandaran immediately. Rostam knew all of this was, quite literally, a fool's errand. They shouldn't even be here. But the king was the king, and they had to listen to him. Crowds flooded from the city, and so he decided to give them a little something to talk about. He rode Rakish up to the tallest tree he could find, ripped it from the ground, and carried it like a lance. When the team from Mazandaran met Rostam on the field, one held out his hand for a handshake. Rostam smirked as he met him, and immediately realized that it was one of those handshakes. You know the type, where to show how manly they are, a person grips so tightly that it seems like they're trying to break a person's hand. Well, Rostam had very little patience for one of those games. The man took Rostam's hand and squeezed. 
a proud smirk curling ever so slightly across his face. Rostam bobbed his head from side to side. Yeah, not bad. Then, he responded in kind. Immediately, all the bones in the man's hand shattered, and the text says his fingernail shot off in all directions. Nice to meet you too, Rostam said, letting go of the man's hand, which now dangled lifelessly at his side. That losing fellow was the king of Mazandaran's new champion. And so far, intimidating Rostam with their best warriors was not going well. Still, Rostam sat calmly before the king as the man berated Kekavas. Privately, Rostam acknowledged that the enemy king wasn't wrong. But, Kekavas was Rostam's king. As expected, the opposing king refused the demands. With an accepting nod, Rostam left and the last army of Mazandaran marched out behind him. The war lasted exactly one week. Early on, a Mazandaran champion stormed from the defending line and challenged anyone to single combat. As the story says, Rostam sprinkled flowers with the man's brain. And, after that, the morale of the Mazandaran army was hardly the same. Rostam himself would make the killing blow, or at least he planned to, firing off a javelin at the defending king but the king skillfully encased himself in granite at the last minute, and the javelin clanged uselessly to the ground. The king's men fell quickly and left, and soon Rostam was upon the rock, shouting at the king huddled inside the boulder that either he reversed the magic, or Rostam would take his mace and not stop until the boulder, and anything inside, was reduced to nothing. Of course, this helped the king of Mazandaran to see the light, and the rocks retreated. He assured himself that Kekavas the conqueror, would be merciful. And to any other guy, Kekavis might have been merciful, but he had been personally tortured for months at the king's direct order. There would be no mercy here. Instead, he sentenced the king of Mazandaran to death. He would be hacked to pieces by swords. Yeesh. Seeing his window of opportunity, Rostam, being the sole reason for any victory whatsoever, had no problem pushing through his candidate for the king of Mazandaran, the one and only Olad. The guy was trustworthy, honorable, and, probably most importantly, not a demon or a sorcerer. The two men, now friends, embraced, as Rostam left for Iran. Sometime after returning, when it was time to leave Kay Kavis on his throne, Rostam could see that the man had, hopefully for the better, been changed. He was more willing to be sober and serious in his decision-making and listen to his advisors, all it took was months of torture at the hands of demons in a nearly impossible war, where the only reason they were victorious was because a once-in-a-millennia hero had come to bail him out. As Rostam rode for home, he looked back at the kingdom, shrinking in the distance again. It was in better shape than when he had set out from his Andron, and that was all he could ask for. He'd just have to be ready for when things, inevitably, went off the rails again. And that'll happen again, but not next week. Rostam's story is much longer than our typical three-episode arc, so his is another one like Hercules or Theseus or King Arthur that we're going to keep returning to. Next week, we're moving a little bit farther east for another one of those stories that's neither a myth nor a legend, but often confused for one. I'll be telling some of the stories of the Jungle Book, and we'll learn how different it is from its super popular cartoon adaptation. 
I mean, I guess this isn't remotely a spoiler, given this podcast. It's different. I want to say thanks to Zozo Yoshi, Mr. Loofs, Murdoch007, Ethan5284, HQ8910, Jedi Game Player, 956162, Reviewer8115, GoGo the Five Stars, Cosmic8522, Fun Fun Fun, Star 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 Star, and Happy Donkey Donut Lady for leaving reviews in Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for your reviews. It's really awesome to hear from you. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. And yes, there is still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of 60 capsules of sheep placenta, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that probably won't help you reduce wrinkles. That's one of the supposed benefits of taking sheep placenta pills. The membership, though, has the added benefit where you don't ingest sheep placenta. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creatures this week are the Kakamora from the Solomon Islands. On the island of Makira, there are hidden, inaccessible caves behind fruit and nut trees. If you've ever thought that this would be a great place to establish a hidden city and are also 6 to 36 inches tall, you're in luck because in those caves live an entire society of 6 inch tall people named Kakamura. They're nice, unless you go all Gargamel on them and make it your life's work to, well, end their lives. Then they'll attack relentlessly with their long, pointy nails and teeth, which is either kind of the least threatening thing a six-inch-tall person could do, or a kind of scary and deadly thing from a three-foot-tall person, given that these creatures are also exceptionally strong. Their favorite foods are nuts, ripe fruits, and possum. If you make them mad, or happen to be one of our possum listeners, all you have to do is wave a white flag, and they'll run away. Their straight hair goes down to their knees, and they don't wear clothes, which shouldn't come as a surprise, given that this is a creature of the week creature. Hairy nudity should, I guess, be assumed unless otherwise mentioned. If you've ever seen Moana, the Kakamora are, of course, not depicted as naked, but instead as these intense little coconut-wearing Viking things that roam the seas, using everything but their fingernails and teeth as weapons. When it comes to the origins of these creatures, we don't really know. There could have been actual people who stood around three foot tall in the islands long ago, and as time went on, a legend grew, there was one writer by the name of Charles Elliot Fox, and he reportedly saw a Kakamura one morning while walking the island of Makira with a group of locals. When they got close, they found raw, half-eaten fish and a trail of small, wet footprints on dry stones heading off into the forest. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and our story editor was Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>